The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Morgantown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is the WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, today we are going to record two podcasts again, just like we did last week. First, we are going to share our thoughts on WVU's victory over Virginia Tech. And then we are going to break down the Texas game down in Austin. So be sure to check out that after this episode. So let's dive right into it. The West Virginia Mountaineers defeat the Virginia Tech Hokies by the score of 33-10. to And even though Tech isn't a very good team this year, it always feels good to crush a rival like that. And that 23-point win was the biggest West Virginia has ever had in Lane Stadium. So what are your initial thoughts on the game? I thought it was a great win, especially, you know, with a a fan base that still wasn't completely sold on the direction of the team. Um, Going into Lane Stadium isn't easy, regardless of how good or bad Tech is. And um, there's definitely a lot of question marks around WVU and Texas Tech. So um, I think it helped, you know, at least me personally, um, as a fan, understand that our team maybe isn't as bad as we initially thought. Um, That combined with Kansas being 4-0, obviously, kind of lightens the the concerns a little bit but it was great obviously to bring the black diamond trophy home yeah 100 percent very satisfying win i think you're right about that and you know anytime you can get one over a bitter rival that way uh it feels good and it was great momentum starter i think heading into um this game in austin texas because that's going to be a tough road game for the mountaineers but um You know, I was thinking, I was kind of comparing this win to last year's win against Virginia Tech. And last year's win, you know, although it felt good to win after that, um, you know, that rivalry was gone for a few years, it still kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth how we won the game last year. Whereas this one, there's no bitter taste. The game was very satisfying. Our offense looked great. The defense had a rough start, but was able to pull it together. And they had a pretty strong showing overall. So, you know, yeah, just feels good to crush Virginia Tech in that fashion. Um, We do have to be a little honest. Virginia Tech bailed us out a couple times on some key plays. Like some of the ones that come to mind is the roughing the passer call on fourth down. Um, which helped WVU extend a drive and score. Um, And there were several other examples, not jumping on Reese Smith's muff punt. That could have been a big game changer. Calling a QB run up the middle on fourth down with Grant Wells was a bit of a head scratcher um, to call a play like that. In that situation, twice Grant Wells missed wide open guys downfield. And there was a ton of penalties. Fortunately for us, 15 of them were on Virginia Tech for 132 yards. Um, but you know what? I'll take it. You know, West Virginia played a better, a cleaner game than Virginia Tech did. And that's all part about being a good football team. So many times we hop on this podcast and talk about how, you know, we're not playing a clean game and that's why we lost. I'll give our players and coaching staff credit. I mean, they were the cleaner, smarter team. And because of that, they absolutely crushed Virginia Tech and got their biggest victory ever in their stadium. So Great way to head into a tough stretch of WVU schedule. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, you know, kicking off maybe on the offensive side of the ball, you know, 
I think the matchup to watch going into that week was our offensive line versus their defensive line. Um, you know, their front seven has been tremendous. Their secondary hasn't really been Virginia Tech's secondary hasn't really been bad all year either. But you know, the big question mark was going to be how is our offensive line going to perform when they've had you know some ups and downs. You know, the numbers look good against Pitt, but if you dig in a little bit deeper, you saw that JT Daniels bailed out the offensive line quite a bit. Um, against Kansas, they couldn't really run block to save their life. And against Tosin, it was Tosin, so it really didn't matter. Um, we actually dominated a, a quality front seven um, and really established the run. You know, I, I think C.J. Donaldson continued to reassure everyone that he is just a, a superstar. Um, Justin Johnson had a really, really nice game stepping in. Um, you know, overall, I thought, you know, the offense looked really good and JT Daniels didn't really have to do too much, which I'm fine with, you know, I mean, he still passed for 200 yards and a touchdown. Um, he was efficient, completing about 66% of his passes. Um, you know, I really can't complain about it. I mean, Caden Brather carried the offense because Virginia Tech was really focusing on Bryce Ford Wheaton. And I think there's just so many ways that you can look at what the offense did um, on Thursday and, and see that, you know, things are trending in the right direction. Not that they weren't offensively, but some of the question marks that we had, you know, a few weeks ago about, you know, who's the number two receiver? Um, how's the running back room going to shake out? And how's the offensive line going to stack up against quality opponents? We've got some really good answers on Thursday. So, um, you know, I'm really satisfied on that side of the ball. How about you? I'm with you. I mean, that you could argue that's the best defense WVU has played up to this point. And I, I, I thought WVU's offense passed the test. JT Daniels had a bit of a rough start to the game, um, but he showed why he's so valuable because he bounced back and ended up having a solid night overall. And from all accounts to people who were there, it was a very, very windy day, which, um, you know, could have played a factor in him missing a few of those early um I don't know. It was, it was just kind of off for JT Daniels. But like I said, overall, he bounced back and had a great second half. Um, he drove WVU down the field twice before stalling out early on, having to settle for field goals. Um, that's really the only thing, if you're trying to be nitpicky, you can complain about, is WVU struggled a little in the red zone. They had two field goals, two touchdowns on five trips. But honestly, that fifth trip was the kneel downs. So you could say, really, they went four for four, two field goals, two touchdowns when they made it down there. Um, but after that, I mean, I, I I just thought he was on fire overall. He orchestrated a beautiful drive to close out the first half and connected on a 24-yard pass to Sam James and, um, and, and was solid in the second. So uh, I really have no complaints about his performance. Yeah, the thing that really kind of sticks with me so far this season is we talked about – you know, the past couple of years about how the offense just, you know, whether if it was planned to not score points, you know, to kind of control the clock, um, take the air out of the ball, control time of possession. You know, that's kind of been Neil Brown's MO here, you know, throughout his career. Um, but this year through four games, we scored 30 or more points, all four games. Um, how many times did we do that last year? Once, maybe twice. Um, and I'm not counting LIU. I mean, outside of LIU, I think what Iowa State. Um, yep. And is there anyone else? Uh, you know, we've already done it four times. Yeah, maybe. I, I believe Texas as well. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, if if you eliminate the FCS school, I think you're right. We might have only uh, have won over 30 twice last year. So, 
wow. Yeah, that is bad. But uh, yeah, totally turned it around <laughs> this year. And, uh, you know, you brought up the run game. Let's talk about that because the running backs looked fantastic. They ran for 218 yards. They averaged 4.7 yards a carry. And it was really from all three guys. CJ Donaldson finished with 106 yards. Justin Johnson had 83. And Tony Mathis had 38. So great team effort. Um, what's your opinion about how those three guys played? I mean, all three guys are, are just really good. Obviously, I think CJ Donaldson is kind of the, I don't want to say bell cow, but he's the guy that, you know, you're always going to see getting probably 15 plus touches in some way, shape or form in this offense, because he's just a, a playmaker. He can break big plays. You know, he's sturdy. He falls forward. Um, you know, you really can't tackle him behind the line because of how big he is. So, you know, I, I, he's established himself as the number one, but, you know, even then he's not a 30 touch guy, you know, you still have Tony Mathis who, while he did fumble and kind of lose um, some snaps to Justin Johnson, this past game has still had some pretty solid games and is still an effective back. I mean, by no means is he someone that, you know, wouldn't make it on another power five school. You know, I definitely think he would be in a rotation in, you know, at probably at least half the other big 12 schools. Um, and then Justin Johnson, you know, we've seen flashes from him over the course of the past four weeks. It's just opportunity. And he finally got over 10 carries. He had 83 yards and a touchdown. Um, he looked quick. He looked completely different to back. That's what I love about the backfield is that two backs brings somebody I think is a, you know, pretty straightforward one cut type of guy. He's going to keep you, you know, CJ Donaldson, just you can't bring him down and he can go for a big play at any time. And Justin Johnson is shifty. He's quick. He's explosive. Um, and he's shown that he's a pretty solid pass protector as well. So uh, we have three guys who all kind of fill different roles. And I think that works out well for this offense because you can throw guys in interchangeably. None of them really have any glaring weaknesses. Um, and, you know, I think this might be the deepest running back core WVU has had in a long time, if not potentially ever, because I think we have three quality backs. I'm with you. Uh, it's definitely a good question if um, if we've ever had a running back room this deep. I mean, I'm trying to think. We had like um, Petaway, Kennedy McCoy, and someone else. Might have been Letty Brown. I don't even know. But we had three guys at one point that were so good that eventually Petaway had a transfer. But honestly, I would I would arguably put this group over them because all three of them could carry the load on any given night. Um, which is what I love because you got a guy like CJ, CJ um, Donaldson, who's so good and you want him getting a majority of the carries, but um, you know, you don't want to tire him out early in the season either. Cause he's a true freshman. And so in games, when you have a big lead, you can stick in Tony or Justin Johnson and maybe rest his body and you don't got to worry about a big drop off. They're, they're very, very capable of carrying the load. Um, I know one thing I did want to bring up, you mentioned to me via text while we were watching that game that you would like to see a more heavy combo of Justin Johnson and CJ Donaldson. And I think that's worth talking about. Um, Tony Mathis had some good runs, and um, but, but I think you're right. I think the combo of Justin Johnson and CJ Donaldson is just so effective because they're the perfect mix of shiftiness and bruiser running that can kind of keep a defense off balance. Now, I don't want my words to be twisted. I'm not saying completely face Tony Mathis out of the lineup. I still want him 
to see playing time, but I definitely want to see a similar dosage that we saw against Virginia Tech with uh, Donaldson and Justin out there a lot, whether it's running plays, passing plays, because Johnson and Donaldson have proven they're very competent at pass blocking as well. I mean, there's highlights that you can find online of them just lighting up linebackers who are coming in free. Um, and the other big thing with them, they just seem to get yards and bunches where I haven't seen that from Tony yet this year. Um, I know Tony, when he played last year, he was breaking off huge runs in those two games that he played at the end of the year. But um, I'm seeing that a lot less this year from him. Whereas Donaldson and Justin Johnson just seem to be able to get you 10 plus yards um, very frequently. So um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Maybe trying that out against Texas. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think CJ Donaldson and Justin Johnson probably complement each other best. Um, I do think that, you know, in terms of skill level, I think they offer the most intriguing skill set for, um, you know, number one and number two, like you said, with a bruiser and more of a quick guy, and they're both great in pass protection. Um, you know, I, I think Tony Mathis is probably most comparable to maybe like a Letty Brown, where, you know, you can kind of do a little bit of everything, but he's not necessarily great at anything. He's just a really solid back. Where with Justin Johnson, you know, you can kind of see with his shiftiness, his explosiveness, how quickly he gets up to speed, how reliable he is in pass protection for being so young. I mean, a redshirt freshman, um, and then also, you know, we haven't even tapped into how we can use these running backs in a passing game too much. I mean, Donaldson had three catches, um, Johnson didn't have any. So I definitely think there's a lot more that those two could do, um, in terms of getting out in the flats or running little routes here and there, especially Donaldson. Um, you know, I think those two are the two that would give the defense the most problems. Um, it's really hard to kind of because it's not like a situation um, where you have one guy who's one dimensional. You, know, you don't have someone who you're sticking in there and be like, okay, they're running at this play because that's what this guy's in there for, or they're passing at this play. Cause this guy is a pass catcher and a pass blocker. That's his role. Um, I think both Donaldson and Johnson are at least average or better at all the things you want a running back to be at. Um, and it doesn't allow defenses to key in on any one of them. My only concern about, you know, how many carries Donaldson is getting, and I love how many carries he's getting, how involved he is, is that, you know, with him being so young, it, you know, I, you've seen, you know, at least Virginia Tech try it, is that they're just trying to beat him up. I mean, there was a, a targeting call there um, that the guy got to, tossed out for, but, you know, guys – are just so frustrated on how to bring him down that, you know, for he's still a true freshman regardless of how big he is and how much of a beating can his body take over the course of the season when he's only had what three or four months of college level conditioning and weight training. So um, as much as I want, you know, CJ Donaldson to continue to be the face of the kind of the running back room, I think it's really important to, get Johnson involved and make sure Letty's getting in there and taking carries as well, because you're going to want Mathis. Yeah. Mathis as well. Um, Because you're going to want Donaldson in, in November, you're going to want him in the bowl game. If assuming we get there. Um, So that that's really my only concern with 
overloading and just kind of focusing on two guys. Um, Cause I do think uh, Mathis helps Donaldson a lot when it comes to having someone who can run up the middle and handle some of those more physical runs. No, oh, 100%. And like, yeah, like I said, I don't want Tony phased out. Um, I would just like to see those guys use maybe slightly heavier than we've seen the first three games. But yeah, I mean, you're right. CJ even got a hand injury in that Virginia Tech game. That's why we we did see so much Justin Johnson towards the end of the game. Um, so you are right. You, you definitely got to be careful about wearing them out. But um, also, I wanted to give the coaching staff some credit for holding Tony Mathis responsible for that fumble. I mean, I think that is why his snap count went down so much was because of the fumble in the game. And every week we come on this podcast and say the coaching staff doesn't hold the players accountable for mistakes. Well, guess what? They did. And I'm going to give them a little shout out for it. So credit where crew. And honestly, I think it'll make Tony a better player for it. I think that might back of his head next time um he doesn't put two hands on the ball so and also while we're on this topic by the way for all the fans who are saying fire neil brown and bring back rich rod or dana dana holgerson's houston krugers um are number one in penalties and penalty yards this year so sometimes you gotta be careful what you wish for yeah for sure i mean that was always kind of dana's mo though is just you know kind of let guys play ball and, you know, wild, crazy chaos, play random, I guess. Um, and, and, you know, I do think that Virginia Tech did show some po- pro- positive progress in some areas that I was concerned about. You know, I definitely think, and, you know, it's something we can maybe talk about after, you know, during the defense or maybe after the defense, but, you know, with, you know, the penalties, the penalties were still kind of high. Um you know, there were some things at the end of the game when it came to, you know, clock management. Um, but I, I think as Neil Brown gets more confident with this group of guys, um, he's becoming a little bit looser with things. And maybe it's not necessarily a trend just because it is one or two games, like in toasting going for on fourth down multiple times um, against Virginia Tech, you know, holding players more accountable, not being afraid to play more backups. Um you know, I, I don't know if that's more of a, a symptom or if that's more of just kind of a that's how things shook out. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens against Texas, what happens against Baylor, what happens against Oklahoma. And, you know, if things start going wrong, does Neil Brown kind of shrivel up and go back to his old ways of being conservative or is he going to trust his guys? Because I think this is a, a team, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that you can trust your guys. You know, and you have enough guys that if someone makes a truly boneheaded play, you can pull them and replace them. Yeah, in terms of offense, I mean, this is light years better than any other offense under the Neil Brown era. So I feel like absolutely he's got more confidence in this group because, I mean, last year, would you feel super confident going for it on fourth and four with, I mean, our offense, if we're just being honest, was pretty bad last year so we just talked about how they couldn't even crack 30 most of the time um (laughs) but let's talk about the wide receivers just real quick because no wide receiver really blew up and had a huge day but it was nice to see Prather step up and um you know have the best day out of all the wide receivers he finished with 69 yards on six catches and that stat line you know it doesn't jump off the page 
But um, if you know, if you if you went back and saw those six catches, all of them were pretty critical grabs. He made a catch on fourth and one, which helped WVU get a two possession lead <clears throat> um, in the second half. So I mean, that catch alone was huge. He made several catches on the two minute drill drive to close out the first half, which eventually led to a Sam James touchdown. But without Prather making some big grabs, we probably don't score a touchdown there. And um, I know you've been waiting for Prather's breakout party all year. So on a day where Bryce, Wheaton, where Bryce Ford Wheaton was held to just 23 yards, um, it was nice to see Prather step up and make some critical grabs. So I know you had to be excited seeing that. What do you think about Prather's performance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, he has, you know, some of the highest upside. He has the highest upside on the team right now at wide receiver. And, you know, the – the crucial piece with him is, is just getting him reps, getting him comfortable, getting him in the rhythm. And a game like Virginia tech is something that could really pay dividends going on because you're getting him, you know, six catches is getting someone really involved in the offense. Um, it's making them feel like, you know, I need to go out and run my route hard every time because they're looking at me now. Um, I think before it was easy to kind of see, okay, well, they're just looking at Bryce, so maybe I can take some plays off. And we kind of saw that in the pit game. You know, Prather didn't grade out very well. He really didn't do anything. Um, he did have a, a nice long or a nice long catch. Um, but other than that, he had a really quiet game. Um, you know, and I think the past two games, we've gotten Prather more involved. And it's really important to have two guys that you can rely on on the offense. Um, and that's going to open things up the seam, too, for Sam James. So, you know, as those two... Bryce Ford Wheaton and Prather show that, hey, you can't just shade over to Bryce Ford Wheaton all the time because Prather's going to beat you. It's going to bring those safety out to the outside, to the sidelines more, and that's going to open up those seam passes like we saw on that touchdown pass to Virginia Tech. It's going to open up that middle, and that's where Sam James is kind of the most deadliest. I mean, you remember what was his freshman year when he had that really big year. You know, he was just catching long passes, you know, in the middle, he was just beating guys with his speed and you open up the middle of the field. Um, you could have three receivers that hit, you know, maybe over 600, 650 yards on this team this year. And that, that would be pretty good. Yeah. 100%. I definitely think it'll have a, a trickle down effect because we know Bryce Ford Wheaton's going to put up numbers. So if Prather can start getting in on that, um, it's just going to help everyone get involved. The only other thing I have to say about the receivers is I was very glad to see Mike O'Loughlin getting some passes his way as well. Um, it was only three catches for 33 yards, but we've been calling for WVU to incorporate their tight ends since last football season. Um, and O'Loughlin only had two catches heading into this game. Obviously his injury, you know, probably missed a lot of snaps his first fr- Uh, three games. I don't have the numbers, but I know, you know, they were playing backup tight ends a lot. So that has something to do with it, but it's, it's just nice to see that they're getting him involved. I know he had a bad drop in that game. I believe it was even for a touchdown. So Mm -hmm. that hurts to see, but um, I I think he's a guy who can make an impact. So I'm glad to see that they were getting him involved in a big game against Virginia tech. Me too. And uh, over his career so far, he's had moments where it looks like, you know, they're going to lean on the tight end a little bit more. Um, Nothing really came of it. But I think, you know, this year it seemed like, at least from the talk, that they really wanted to get tight ends more involved in the past game. Um, And it seemed like early on in the season that they really wanted Poland Day to to be that guy. Um, He obviously is kind of 
not performed, I think, up to expectations. So as O'Laughlin got more healthy, um, he he's taking those snaps back. And O'Laughlin, you know, on, both on on blocking and receiving, has just been rock solid his entire career at WVU. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I want him to go out there and get six catches and 70 yards every game. But, you know, three or four catches a game, I think that's a good mix. And it keeps the defense guessing. So um, I'm, I, I like this mix. Um, you know, if you can get him about this amount of targets every game, you know, I think that's a, a huge improvement um, over the way that we've involved tight ends over previous years. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just have to make it a threat. You just have to make it something that defense have to respect. You know what I mean? Um, but you, you mentioned the O-line a little bit earlier, but you know, they had a great day. So let's give the O-line some love, big props to them. And, Offensive line coach Matt Moore, who has taken his fair share of criticism, whether rightfully so or not. Um, So I'll give him props when he has a good day as well. JT Daniels was only sacked one time Thursday night, and I don't think any pressures really. The line was getting a huge push in the run game as well. So, I mean, nothing but good things to say about them. How do you think they performed? Yeah, it was great to see them come together, especially against – such a talented, you know, front seven, you know, maybe it's probably not as good as Pitts, but still, you know, they have some really good guys on that defense and what they've done so far this season defensively isn't a fluke. Um, You know, we went out there and we handled business. Now, obviously, you know, maybe some of that is Doug Nestor playing with a chip on his shoulder, going back to his old stomping grounds and getting to push around some of his old uh, teammates. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, I, I felt like the offensive line played really well and, you know, the key part is, is that, you know, we're seeing other guys on the offensive line, you know, not become huge liabilities. I know we're kind of shuffling between different guys at right tackle and right guard with, you know, playing Jordan White some, um, getting Jaquay Hubbard in there. Brandon Yates is get, still getting some snaps. Um, you know, that's not easy, especially when Doug Nestor has to move between right guard and right tackle. But it just proves in that game that, you know, these guys are kind of getting used to the rotation it's nice to have different guys who can switch in and out, um, especially when you don't have five guys who are studs. You have three guys who I think are really good, and you have two guys who are kind of, you know, okay. Um, so you can kind of swap guys in and out as you need to, as people need a break, um, and you're not going to see a drop-off. I, I don't think in the past year or two, maybe three, we've had more than five offensive linemen that deserve to play, and now we have at least seven. Um, again, you know, the recruiting is paying off. The development is paying off. Um, we're seeing improvement, which is something that we hadn't seen from, like you said, Matt Moore in previous years. So I don't know if it's because the seat got hot or he just got the right guys, but nonetheless, the offensive line is showing signs of improvement. And, um, that's a huge relief for me personally. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Their time of possession was 38 minutes to Virginia Tech's 21. I mean, that is gigantic. And that all starts with the offensive line, being able to protect your quarterback, being able to get pushed in the run game. So props to them. It all starts with the O-line. My final thoughts on offense. I just want to, you know, give VT's punter a little shout out. He penned WVU back several times with some nice punts. And the Mountaineer offense kept finding ways to get out of those bad situations. I mean, that was really the story of the game is WVU had great, um, you know, field position battles. Even when Virginia Tech would pin us back, 
we seem to climb our way out of that to the point where we got points. I think we even got a field goal and drove like 97 yards one time. And um, But even when they weren't getting points, they were at least getting a few first downs to win the field position battle, which, you know, last year was a huge problem. Even though our defense was good last year, our offense would always give them such bad field position that um, we lost a lot of games like that. So uh, it might seem like something that doesn't get brought up a lot, but the fact that the offense was able to climb out of those holes when they're pinned back, um, big props to them. Absolutely. Um, you know, the one thing, you know, just to touch on special teams too, is that, you know, I know you mentioned it earlier with Reese Smith muffing a punt. This is his second muff punt. And, um, you know, part, part of the, the return man's job is to know when to let a ball go and when to, when to grab it. Um, you know, I know me, like probably a, a lot of Mountaineer Nation is kind of wondering what Reese Smith has to do to lose his job there. And, you know, he, he's a fine slot receiver, but him being at punt return now is more of a you have to hold your breath when you see the ball traveling to him rather than kind of you know having someone back there who is safe you know and that that's kind of what I thought the selling point with Reese Smith was coming into the season was you know yeah he's not going to return any back for a touchdown he's not going to get you a 20 yard return but he's going to make the right play he's going to play safe and I don't think he can hold that moniker anymore. I, I think it's time to see someone new there. Um, and, and I think we have plenty of guys who could potentially return punts for us. So I'm really hoping to see a change there because, um, you know, we talked about accountability earlier with uh, Tony Mathis and, you know, it has to go across the board. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I like, Again, I heard the wind was really bad there, but I mean, that's a second muff punt in four games. That's just... I mean, and it cost us big in the Kansas game. So that that can't be something that is happening every couple games. And like we've been saying for weeks, you got Jeremiah Aaron, who's an all-American Juco return man. Um, What are they seeing in practice that makes them not want to at least give him a shot? And as far as I know, Malashevich is the backup punt returner, I do believe, because I heard them talking about having competition during practice where Reese Punt and Malashevitz, um were catching fair catches while teammates were throwing towels and stuff in their face. So I don't know if that was just to create a, you know, a fun game and competition at practice, or if he really is the backup guy, if Reese Smith gets pulled. But um, to me, I, I would like to see Jeremiah Aaron out there just because like you said, Reese Smith, I mean, he's okay, but even if he is, you know, cleanly catching these punts, is he really a threat to, you know, bust off a big run for you? I don't think he's done it yet this year and he's muffed two punts. So what is the upside of putting him back there at punts? Yeah. And it's kind of curious that Malisevich is, I think it is backup because, you know, return man is probably one of the positions that's most prone to injury. You know, you got to think people are flying down there and if you get it the wrong way, you're out but he's also the holder on kicks. So um, I don't know if, you know, even if he is the second best guy, since he's the holder, it's hard to switch that in the middle of the season. So I'd rather have someone else, you know, be the backup and nothing against Malisevich, um, but he's the holder. So yeah, you got to protect him because we've seen, you know, as Steeler fans, we saw what happened with the long snapper going bad against the, in the Bengals Steelers game week one. 
um, one little tweak to that perfect harmony that the kicker holder and long snapper have you can just break everything. And Casey like has been fantastic this year. I don't want to have to stress over field goal kicks. Yeah, I'm with you. And maybe I'm just assuming incorrectly that he's the backup, but you're right. I mean, I he's more right. important as he's more important as the holder. So you're 100% right about that. And Casey Legg's been solid. I mean, honestly, he's probably, you know, top three candidate for special teams, big 12 player of the year at this point. So we don't want to mess up what he's doing, especially if we're going to be settling for field goals like we had to in the Virginia Tech game, you don't want to mess up that chemistry. Um, For sure. Yeah, so let's move on to the defense. Um, I got to give the coaching staff credit. They they were really playing some new guys out there on defense, and they were kind of trying some crazy formations. Like, I, I don't know, but it worked. I don't know if it was just because Virginia Tech's offense isn't very good, but um, – uh, our defensive coaching staff was doing all kinds of crazy stuff and it was getting results. Um, so we'll see what happens next week against a really quality offense in Texas. But um, for now, you know, you can only play who's on your schedule and they went out there and they had a good performance against a Virginia tech team. So what's your thoughts about the defense? Yeah. I mean, starting off with the, the front seven, I think that we dominated the, the line of scrimmage. And that was an area that I wasn't super concerned about because looking at, you know, how, how Virginia Tech's offensive line is graded out over the year, there's only really been one guy who's been solid. Um, and, you know, we talked about last podcast where Virginia Tech's offensive line didn't really grade out really well at the run. And some of that has the play calling in, you know, I felt like there were moments where Virginia Tech changed up their play calling a little bit and created potential opportunities, but it just didn't work out because they don't have the personnel to really, you know, do those sorts of things. So they had to kind of stick with the run and, you know, what was it? They had more penalties than rushing yards um, oh, on Thursday, something like that. Um, and that's by, just a, by like a hundred yards. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just goes to show how dominant our front seven was. And like you said that, what was it like a, a five one where we had five guys on the line and one linebacker. Um, I like seeing that creativity because you know, the times where it's good to have four down linemen. Sometimes it's good to have three against a more pass heavy team. Sometimes you want to load up the box and put five guys on the line, even if they're not, they're not all defensive linemen. Um, you know, I think defensive line is the deepest position. So getting guys out there um, in creative ways, is there's nothing wrong with that because you know that that's how we're going to win games getting fresh legs out there had getting you know continuously having a pool of quality guys to pull from and sub to um you know I, I love this defensive line um you know and thinking back to the Dana Holgerson days where it felt like it was hard to find a defensive lineman who you know wasn't going to get pushed around and now we have what six seven maybe eight guys who can come in and play and do something. So um, huge turnaround there. And I love, you know, being able to control the line of scrimmage like we did against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'm with you. WVU only allowed 36 rushing yards. I mean, that is phenomenal. Um, The defensive front, they just absolutely manhandled Virginia Tech's offensive line. And a big shout out to Jordan Jefferson, just another big game. 
the, you know, if you look at his stats, four tackles, one tackle for a loss, that doesn't really jump off the page, but he was absolutely dominating the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, the proof is in the numbers. He was the top PFF defensive player for the Mountaineers that game. He was opening up holes for linebackers and guys behind him. So, I mean, you could really make an argument that he's been West Virginia's best defensive player these last few games. Just, I mean, he's just been on a tear, and I hope he keeps it up against a tough Texas team because obviously Texas is going to want to run Robinson a lot. So um, if if WVU's defense can have another um, – dominant performance up front that'll go a long way in us winning first texas yeah and another thing to kind of point out too is that while we did only have one sack there were a lot of times where we were getting into grant wells face especially when we were pressuring him um he was hurried five times um so you know compared to wvu or jt daniels only being or not being hurried at all um during the entire game um and getting sacked once so we were in the backfield. Maybe we didn't finish, but against guys like Grant Wells and guys who are, you know, more comfortable running or having a clean pocket, um, just getting back there and being disruptive is good enough. And I think, you know, Jefferson and, and Stills and crew have done a great job of doing that all year. Um, and I really hope that, you know, some of these guys get some credit for what they're doing this year because maybe they don't have the counting stats, but they have the impact to the game and arguably that's more important than the numbers that you put on a piece of paper. Yeah. I mean, twice Grant Wells had guys open by like 10 yards and he missed them. And I know for at least one of those, the reason he missed them is because Sean Martin was right in his face and he couldn't step into his throw. So yeah, that, I mean, that doesn't always show up on a stat sheet, but you just saved seven points by doing that. So absolutely. Um, 100 percent uh another guy that we obviously have to give a shout out to is jacoby spells um our boy who we've been we've been shouting from the rooftops for several weeks to get him in there let's see what he's got because the secondary wasn't performing but um you know he got a chance to play and really he's got a a lot of snaps these past two weeks and um you know although wvu secondary looked bad at the beginning of the game um overall just as a team effort, they all pulled it together and spells even had a pick six to really just put V tech completely out of it. Love seeing that. That was honestly, um, I didn't even think about this, but that was WVU's first pick all year long. I didn't even realize that until, you know, after the game, but um, you know, what are your thoughts about the secondary bouncing back after a rough start? Yeah. I mean, I, I think early on in the game, I felt like, Virginia Tech was coming close to breaking through and making things a game. There were numerous times where, you know, you even alluded to it, where they had guys open the field, and Wells was that close to to hitting someone for a big play. Um, There were times where it seemed like they wanted to, you know, go up-tempo and start passing the ball. Unfortunately, they just didn't – they couldn't sustain those drives, and we were able to kind of, you know, get our feet underneath of us and stabilize – but I also think, you know, seeing what Jacoby Spells did um, really kind of showed that he's someone who deserves to get more playing time because even though Virginia Tech wasn't able to capitalize on some of the mistakes we had in the secondary, guys like Ajayi and McCormick and, and crew were still getting beat against a Virginia Tech team who, frankly, just doesn't have very many good receivers. So, you know, they were getting beat 
all season long by every team that we've played against. I think McCormick has been better than Ajayi, but Ajayi, and you know, he, he's probably a great kid, probably a great student, but he's just not a great cornerback right now. Um, and he is, a, I think, a fifth-year senior. He's a transfer from a smaller school, um, and he's just not working. And Jacoby Spells has kind of the pedigree, and you know, he came in and didn't play the whole game. He played, I, I don't, didn't look at the snap counts, but probably about half the snaps, I think. Uh, and he made a play, you know, and he wasn't getting beat deep, at least that you could noticeably see. They weren't targeting him. Um, even on that pick, they weren't really targeting him. He jumped in and made the play. So, um, you know, he's someone that we definitely need to see more of. And, and we need to see him full time, I think, even though he is a freshman and he may you know, not have the conditioning needed to play a full four quarters. You're playing him as many snaps as he is capable of playing, I think is crucial to the secondary success for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, we talked about how Jordan Jefferson was the highest PFF for a West Virginia defensive player that game. Spells was second on that list. And I know Spells did have mistakes. Like um, he was one of the guys that got burnt by Christian Moss. And that's, you know, one of the throws that Grant Wells way overthrew. And um, so he lucked out because he might've gave up an easy seven there, but he is young. He's a freshman. He is going to make mistakes, but um, I mean, that's how he's going to learn. Like you alluded to earlier, some of the guys who've gotten a lot of playing time, they just don't seem to be greatly improving. Whereas you have this young guy who's going to go in, he's also going to make mistakes, but he's also going to be aggressive. I mean, how often do you see West Virginia's defensive zone kind of sit back, allow underneath passes that go for first downs, and then they come up and tackle. Whereas, you know, spells could have easily did that on that play, but man, he was aggressive. He saw Wells eyes and he just went for it. And sometimes if, if, if you're a defense that's going to give up a lot of points, you do need to be aggressive and force turnovers. So, I mean, like you said, he, he can't start all the time. He can't play every snap count. He's a true freshman. That probably wouldn't be a great idea, but I would love to see his snap counts go up little by little each game and just keep getting him experience. And who knows, maybe by next year, you got another Charles Woods on your hand. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think it'd be great to, you know, for the guys who are underperforming, you know, the guys who are underperforming in our secondary are older guys. They're guys who have been around the block. You kind of know what they are, but that's kind of, you know, their faults are their faults that are not going to really grow that much more as a player at this level, I don't think. So, you know, obviously I think Spells has earned, you know, a majority of the snaps at one of the corners position. And obviously when Charles Woods, comes back, he deserves them. But when you give, give those guys a break, if you want to play McCormick, you want to play Ajayi, you want to, you know, rotate in Wilson Lamp, you want to rotate in, you know, these other guys, it doesn't hurt to share the, the remainder of those snaps between four or five different guys and just try to figure out who works because, you know, guys like Mumu Ben-Wanhad and um, uh, Wilson Lamp and, and even Spells aren't going to get better just by practice alone. I think these guys are guys who played at such a high level in high school that getting them in real game action is going to really help raise their ceiling because they're going to be able to learn from real world mistakes. And that's kind of how we're going to figure out if these guys are real 
quality players or if they were just, you know, great on some recruiting website. So give them an opportunity to, to sink or swim. And, you know, then if we bitch and say, well, this guy shouldn't be playing because he's failing, then, you know, then play McCormick and Ajayi. But until yeah. then, you know, give everyone a fair shot. At least you tried. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, just to round out um, some of the our thoughts on defense, Tech was only two for 10 on third down and 0 for 2 on fourth down. So, again, our defense was just phenomenal. Big props to them. I mean, we're rough on them when they have bad games, so I'm going to give them as much praise as possible when they perform well. And in the past two games, West Virginia's defense has only allowed 10 points because, once again, remember, Towson, that seven points was from a kickoff. So in two games, the defense has really bounced back, only allowed two scores, and, um, you know, obviously they weren't, great offenses but um i mean this this could be huge confident booster heading into that texas game where they are going to be challenged so you'll love to see it and hopefully this is where they turn the corner this year yeah absolutely so um just a few things we want to talk about neil brown um you know i I saw some people online complaining about this was kind of milking the clock with about 13 minutes to go in that game with um, WVU only up 23 to 10, which, you know, it's still a relatively close game. Um, so just kind of break it down. They dialed up a pass that gained 27 yards to Reese Smith, and then they never passed the ball again for the next 13 minutes. The Mountaineers were in field goal range after that pass, um, but they ran it three straight times to end the drive. Even on third and six, they decided to just run it and take the field goal. Um, but you know what, after that, the run game was working. They finished the game with nine straight runs before kneeling it down and they were picking up first downs and moving the ball. So I get it. Um, you know, he was just trying to get out of there. I don't have a huge problem with it in this game. The game seemed out of hand, Virginia tech, you know, they're not a very good team offensively. So you don't have to worry about them, you know, putting up 21 points in a couple minutes. Um, and like we said, the run game was working. So it wasn't like you were just going three and out and punting. And here's the other big thing. WVU was coming off of a short week. And so, you know, why drag out the game? Run that clock, get out of there healthy, get ready for Texas. That's kind of my thoughts on it. I can see that to a point. But I think with that amount of time, even as anemic of an offense Virginia Tech has or an opponent may have, you're only one mistake away from it being a ball game and completely flipping momentum on the road. So, you know, I would have been fine with it if you're up three scores, but with two scores, I still think in my opinion is to get a, you know, be aggressive for one more drive, score another touchdown. And if you're up three scores with 10 minutes left, eight minutes left, whatever, you know, you can run the ball more. You can, you know, maybe even play some backups at that point in time. Um, maybe not across the board, but, you know, get some fresh faces in there, get some fresh legs in there that you're not worried about um, getting injured or things like that. But um, to me, you know, just knowing how college football is, we've all seen situations where a comfortable situation can flip in 10 seconds and knowing how many times WVU has faltered, you know, Pitt, Kansas, those all flipped in 10 seconds. 
Um, they'll, you know, you, someone fumbles, someone misses a block, anything like that happens and they return it to the house lane stadium lights up and then it's a ball game again. Um, with three scores, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe it was, you know, kind of to your point in a short week and just wanting to get out of there, but you know, it, it comes back to my, my thoughts that I've said several times over this past season was the killer instinct. You know, you got to go in there and finish, you got to finish them. Um, I'm not asking for them to go out there and try to bury teams by 40 points every game, although it'd be nice, but finish off a team, put them in a situation where they just can't come back and a mistake isn't going to put you behind the eight ball. Um, that's really my own, only concern with trying to drain the clock with that much time left in the fourth. And I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, I've definitely done my fair share of saying Neil Brown doesn't have that killer instinct. And I mean, I'll give him credit where credit is due. He went for it on fourth down twice that game, converted one to Prather. The second one, VT bailed us out with a roughing the passer call. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass just because, like I said, it's a short week. He was probably just trying to get out of there with everyone still healthy. Um, you know, I, I, I have been guilty of making up excuses for him in the past, and this is another <laughs> case of me doing that. I'll just be yeah, honest. I'm, I'm hoping it's not something that rears its head again. Um, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we go into Texas and we have the opportunity to really just put our foot foot on their neck and we, we do it. Um, that's the one thing that, you know, while we, I've seen a lot of improvement from Neil Brown, that's kind of the one thing that I think that he's lacking. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about Dana for all of his faults, he wasn't afraid to go out there and just pour on points and just score until the game was over. Um, yeah, and but, everyone loved know. that about him. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, if if you could, you know, take two pieces of coaches, you know, you could take that piece of Dana <laughs> and give it to Neil. I think we'd be a lot better off, um, and my heart would be a lot more healthy. yeah yeah if you can make a coach that would be a good mixture right there um so yeah i mean overall just to close this out i mean it was a good win but let's be honest wv wvu fans expected to win that game i mean even vegas had the mountaineers as two-point favorites on the road which you don't see too often on a thursday night game so vt is just not very good this year the real test for me will be this saturday a night game in texas um, if you can win at Texas or even bounce back and win at home against a very good Baylor team, I think that's when I'll really start getting excited about the potential. Of this team. Um, but regardless, this win was absolutely satisfying. And it's nice to put it on Virginia Tech because I, I think I heard we can't even play them again till like 2031 because I think, Jeez. you know, just the way our schedules are already filled. Like it, it's not even possible until then. So it's nice to know that the Black Diamond Trophy is going to be in Morgantown for, you know, the foreseeable future. Definitely. Yeah. So um, just to wrap this all up, I wanted to talk about the Inner Sandman entrance for Virginia Tech because, um, you know, some people were complaining online how ESPN showed it. Some people said, even though it's an opponent, we love it. This is what makes 
college football special. So I'm going to just throw it to you and get your initial thoughts. Overrated, underrated, or right where it should be. What do you think about the inner Sandman entrance? Um, I mean, I think it's good for a period of time. I'm all for traditions, but I don't think, in my opinion, it really makes sense to have a I mean, maybe I'm biased as a WVU fan, but, you know, having the same entrance song year after year after year, I think it kind of kills the crowd momentum to some point. Um, And and, I mean, in other situations, too, like you can argue that it doesn't when you think of like Renegade playing in the fourth quarter in Heinz Field. It's a great example. Yeah, so I mean, that's a really tough question because it really depends on, I guess the the history and the tradition behind it. Like, what's that? How does it? How impactful is that to Virginia Tech um, and their fan base? Because you know, as an outsider, I could care less. You know what <laughs> they come out for. Um, honestly, I think it's kind of maybe a little cliche and corny for someone to come out to something like that. Um, not that I'm saying WVU picks the best songs to come out to, but um, you know, I, I like understand me. It's a good song. It's a great song, but you know, it's probably overplayed. Um, I better Metallica songs, but it, it also depends on kind of the, the tradition around it. So But I wouldn't be in the camp of saying that, you know, this is the worst thing ever. Let's make fun of them sort of camp. It's, you know, a a few tiers down from that. So, yeah, I'm I'm at it's right where it should be. You know, honestly, I liked watching it on TV. I know, like I said, people complained and ridiculed ESPN for it because ESPN stayed quiet for two minutes just to show it and just to let you be able to hear the fans. And honestly, I got pumped just watching it, even though that's, you know, my team's rival and I don't like Virginia Tech. To me, that got me hyped up for the game as a West Virginia fan, you know, seeing the crowd jump in. That's why college sports is great because everyone's so involved and excited. So, and I'll put it this way. Would you rather see a cool entrance and everyone getting fired up and ready to watch football? Or would you rather listen to two more minutes of the announcers just rambling about stuff that you just already heard for 15 minutes prior to the game if you're watching the pregame? To me, I wish they would do that before every football game. Just get quiet and let let you be able to see the teams come out, whether we're on the road, whether we're home. To me, that gets me fired up watching that. Oh, for sure. I can definitely get behind that. I, I definitely think, you know, for the the hardcore college football fans, you know, I, I it would improve the viewing experience so much to have entrance, entrances shown, the after game shown, shown, especially home games when they win. You know, thinking of country roads, but every, you know, school has their own kind of song that they play after a win or some sort of series of events that they do. Um, and that's what makes it special. I mean, if we wanted to get crazy, like, you know, if you wanted to just load up on commercials, you know, in between kickoffs and things like that, you know, show the show the bins at halftime because that's an experience in itself, too. Um, 
you know, there's something special about the college environment and all the different things that come to it that you just can't get through television. Um, and it's great that ESPN took the time to do that. You know, I think that's fantastic. Um, I think it should probably be done more um, in a time where, you know, watching a football game could sometimes take four hours because of all of the commercials and breaks. I, I think it adds another love. It, it, you know, it breaks the barrier a little bit whenever you're able to show that college football environment through the TV and makes it feel a little bit more, feel less, uh, less corporate, I guess you could say. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, obviously I'm biased. I think WVU singing country roads at the end of a game is probably the best tradition in college sports. Obviously I'm Mountaineer fans going to say that, but uh, you know, I love it. And it would be cool if they showed that at the end of games, but I get it. You know, Typically, as the game's wrapping up, they're trying to jump to the next game that might have already started. So I understand why that could be an issue. But, um, yeah, I mean, showing the entrances, whether it's for us or against us, I'd rather see that than then just rambling about absolute nonsense prior to the game. So that's my opinion. Go ahead. Yeah, and the fight songs, too. I mean, you know, just thinking back about the college football games, you know, just – uh, there's probably so many college songs I know just from playing those games and sitting there humming along with them as you're playing, you know, it's another thing that makes college football special. And while I, I think there are bits and pieces where, you know, ESPN or whoever's covering the game will show things like that. It's definitely glossed over for stupid things from sideline reporters or people in the booth or whatever else. Um, you know, honestly, like if they, had like a, I don't know what you would call, it, but like a Sunday ticket sort of thing where it was just uninterrupted and you got to watch the whole game beginning to the end, the whole experience and minimal commentary, just enough to kind of explain what's going on in the game, but not interrupt from what's going on in the field and in the stands. That's the subscription service I would consider signing up for. Yeah, and with them going with streaming, that's probably something they could do, honestly, because you could just hop over to any game you wanted at any time. Oh, yeah. And it'd be fun, too. I mean, I don't know. It's just um, ESPN will never do it. But, you know, no. Fox Sports, um, I don't know, whoever else shows college football games, get on it. All right, you guys, know, that's, that's it for us. Let's get into the Texas um, breakdown of that game. So um, go ahead and jump over to that episode. Thanks for listening to this one, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.